Finding the right cleat can be transformative. Believe me, I've worn plenty during my career. So getting the right balance is crucial. The cleat needs to feel good on your foot, but also feel good connecting with the ball. The New Balance Furon 7 Plus is built with both of those points in mind, offering overall comfort and precise striking in the game's fastest moments. Because, as I learned the hard way, because I didn't possess much of it, speed matters in soccer. That's why the Furon 7 Plus is built for accuracy and precision at rapid pace and is engineered specifically for use on firm ground. Why is this the ideal cleat, I hear you ask? Well, not to get too scientific, but the Furon 7 Plus offers a lightweight yet supportive hypo-knit with mesh lining upper construction and is paired with offset lacing for a truer strike of the ball, which is a long way of me saying that your game will immediately get better when these are on your feet. Learn more and purchase the Furon at NewBalance.com. with a bunch of old U.S. Men's National Team players, Jimmy Conrad, Charlie Davies, and Keith Pierce. And because this is how we roll, we have yet another amazing guest joining us this week on the show, former U.S. Men's National Team striker, Eddie Johnson. I can't wait to get his thoughts on a lot of things, but specifically, who you'd like to see us start at the number nine spot if the World Cup started tomorrow. But before we bring him on, I think we need to share our best Eddie Johnson story because we all played with him and Charlie as a former striker and Eddie was a former striker. I'm coming to you first. Give me your best EJ story. Yeah, I'd say for me, I've, it's kind of two. So the first EJ story I have is him taking me under his wing. So going to Copa America with, with you, Jimmy as well. And Mm -hmm. you know, 2007 and I'm thinking, man, Oh, that's cool. Don't include me in the story, Charlie. <laughs> he was there too, Charlie. Yeah, yeah he didn't, he, I don't remember him doing just, anything. But I, I, I didn't get to play until we no, were he out. was I watching Johnny Bornstein. Yeah, so I know. I know. I thought, <laughs> I, I, by the way, I thought I'd get the tournament, but jo- Johnny got to go Gold Cup straight to that and take all the games. But I played the last <laughs> one when we were out. Sorry, Charlie. Way to go, Johnny boy. <laughs> no, and, and I was just thinking, man, we. Uh, I, I get the opportunity to learn from the guy that, I, that I've been watching as a kid, you know, in terms of how to score goals, how to adapt to the national team. And he took me right under his wing and he, and he gave me his Jersey. Um, the one that he scored, uh, the um, early because, flex. Yeah. And you're wearing is, it right now for everybody yeah. that can't see hey. it. Listening to this. He's wearing the Copa America, 2007 blue pinstripe, Eddie Johnson on the back. And it's autographed by Eddie. Yes. Like you just, you just leveled up. That's, and, that's and, like the ultimate flex. And, and the ultimate EJ story is him setting the tone with, with bling bling. Um, oh, yeah. so he had to get like the the blinged out watch all the ice on the and the rings and the in the jewelry and so he set the tone and set the bar high then clint dempsey then then you know i had to jump to marcus beasley and then obviously once i got to that level i was like i to. got i got i have to get the blink too so, <laughs> this is what you do um, so he kind of he kind of led to me you know getting some some bling for the for the watches and the, and the the rings all right i respect it heath uh yeah. best ej story Man, I got so many EJ stories. EJ, <laughs> EJ and I go back to like the U14 national teams residency, uh, you know, 14 to 17 years old. I won't tell any of those stories just because like you're 14 to 17. Those yeah, people live, yeah. live, and, live, and, live and stay in, in that period. But I think uh, I, it's not so much a story, but just my first time remembering EJ when we first got to residency at IMG. For those that didn't know, before there was academies, there was this IMG academy where all the youth national team players would go to play during a certain age group to train for a World Cup, but also simulate professional environments. It was part of this thing called Project 2010, where the U.S. was supposed to win the World Cup 
in 2010. Turns out that didn't happen and was a little bit ambitious. But uh, we were one of the first nights there. They had this big um, indoor training center there, um, and what that we called the dome. And we went in there one of the first days, and <clears throat> we're, we got a football and we were throwing a football around. And Eddie was running routes better than anybody I'd ever seen run routes in football. And then we went to the gym, right? This is like we're 15 years old. And we see this big yoke dude repping 225 pounds, right? And I, at this point, like if I could get 150, 160 on a bench press, I was happy. And Eddie was like, oh, that's, that's not that much. And Eddie might not even remember <laughs> the story. not that much. I don't think I've ever done two and, and And we were like, no, dude, you know, that's the double 45s. That's what everybody dreams of, the double 45s on each <laughs> side of the barbell. And Eddie was like, no, nah, it's not that much. And, and Eddie was always down to be like, you know, no, nah, that's not that tight. So then uh, Eddie went straight up to the bench press and started repping out 225. We were kids, dude. We were kids. And, and we were like, there's no way. And it was the first time that I realized, it wasn't the first time, but it was one of the many times that I realized that Eddie could have been a professional athlete in literally every sport. And yeah, I, I, yeah. I know we say that about people. I know we talk about Odell Beckham, but when you watch him kick a ball, you're like, bro, don't lie to us. Uh, Eddie could have done that at any sport and was one of the best pure, pure, pure athletes that I've ever seen in my entire life to this day. I think you're just saying that too because he's coming on as a guest. No, 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 no. I, I agree. Yeah, you I, watched I think, Eddie go. I think so too. I think I, so too. But, but no, no, I agree with you. I've been around Eddie <laughs> for club and country. He's been my teammate for for a number of years, and and I saw exactly what you're talking about. And, it, and I always felt a little jealous. I'm like, man, the games, the game looks so easy for Eddie Johnson. Why is it so hard for me? And I think the reps for 225 pounds is uh, a nice example of that. Now, my favorite story before we bring on the man, myth, and legend Eddie Johnson is that my first national team camp in January 2005. So I'm obviously super nervous, finally get called in after waiting patiently for many, many years. And Eddie had just come back from training with Manchester United. And at that point, Louis Saha was at United and took Eddie under his wing. And at that camp, now I played against Eddie for, for years in MLS, and I had seen, obviously, flashes of his potential, what he could be. That guy came back, and I could not defend him. He just was another level coming out of that. And it was, I've never seen, not Landon, not Clint, Nobody that DeMarcus and there's no player I've ever played against that was harder to defend than those three weeks in January camp. Because if I tried to play him tight, he would just roll me and then ask for the ball up over the top. I'm not catching him. And then if I dropped off of him, he would just turn and grab it and then run at me full speed. And I wasn't good enough at that point. And as he likes to say, I was never good enough to, to <laughs> no, actually do all the you things. You were by that point. I got there eventually. <laughs> but, but, but that three weeks, I saw the best that I've ever seen of Eddie Johnson. He was tremendous. And, uh, and in some ways, I wish he hadn't hurt his toe. I think he got that that turf toe that really kind of lingered for for a long time as he tried to push back and get back in, maybe a little bit too soon as people do with that. But I just wanted to give a shout out. He was uh, the most unbelievable U.S. player I've ever seen. And I say that now after seeing all these other guys that are coming through, I guarantee you none of them were better than those three weeks of Eddie Johnson. Now, obviously, we saw flashes of it throughout the rest of his career, but uh, I was always truly amazed. So it's, let's bring the man on now, everybody. Eddie Johnson, everybody, 63 caps for the U.S. men's national team, 328 games at the club level, playing in MLS, England, and Greece before having to retire much earlier than I'm sure he would have preferred due to an unfortunate heart issue. Though I'm glad the doctors spotted it before it became too serious. It's Eddie Johnson! What's up, Eddie? How are you, man? Great to see you. What's up, Jimmy? What's up, Eve? What up, Charlie? What's going on? Okay, oh, so EJ, you heard these stories about from us about you. Which one? Uh, which one stands out for you? Anything you want to shed some light on or add any context to? 
Uh, I mean, Jimmy, you put me, you put me in a, a rough spot, man, Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> you made me look good, Jimmy. You made me look good. Uh, well, maybe, maybe it was me that was making you Jimmy, look good. You're a great January. salesman, man. You're a great salesman. <laughs> I remember all of those stories, man. Um, and, and I know those stories are, are, are true because when, when I, when I can literally count on uh, two hands on, on the friends that I've come across in, in, in this game, I'm, I'm talking to three of them right now. You know, so, uh, you know, all of them, you know, um, even in the Dome, Heath, I remember that back in Brazil. <laughs> I remember that. I remember what Jimmy's saying, Charlie, I remember. Um, you know, one of our things, you know, you know, bringing Charlie under my wing was, you know, trying to get more people to, 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 to recognize soccer. And it was, if anything, we can try and change to bring more awareness to the game if it was, like, starting to try and pretend like we were freaking basketball players and wear jewelry and, like, football players to bring more awareness to it. It was something that I've always wanted to do, and it's something that I'm doing right now. It's just trying to add more, like, swag to the culture of the sport, you know? So, no, and I appreciate that. That's part of your charm, and, and we love it. So, Eddie, I'm going to go first with the question. Obviously, as as he said, you were capable of playing a lot of sports. So my first part of that is, why did you choose soccer? Second, based on your whole career, you're now teaching the game to kids that were at that same level or at that same age when you had to make that choice about dedicating your life to one particular sport so you could be great at it, which you did. So so how did you know soccer? And and now why do you, why you why are you so compelled to give back? Because you have clearly shown that you're a tremendous coach. Uh, uh, the, the, the first one, why did I choose soccer? Um, well, I didn't really play soccer cause I loved it in the beginning, you know, mm-hmm. like Heath had mentioned, you know, uh, you know, I, I was just so competitive and I loved playing all sports and, uh, I found soccer very challenging in the beginning because, uh, growing up in America, especially in the inner cities, you know, a lot of the things we do is, you know, hand hand eye coordination so it's either throwing a football or shooting a basketball or picking up a baseball bat whatever it is um so it was very good with my hands but when it came to uh you know having a ball at my foot it it it, it made me uncomfortable um and and it was challenging and uh you know we all know we're competitors if anything becomes challenging that inner competitiveness comes in and you keep working hard until you become good at it so i think that the the, the the will to wanting to become good at it and then seeing the, the, you know, how I was progressing when I was younger, when I started to play and learning all of these amazing things in the sport, it kind of drew, drew, drew me to the sport as well. And then I say, uh, the, the crowd of people, you know, it put me around versus growing up in the inner city when I was playing basketball and football, you know, the crowd was bad, you know, uh, my friends were doing bad things growing up. Uh, and then I'm not going to lie, you know, soccer is a suburban sport. So those kids weren't doing bad things. And, uh, you know, my, my crowd changed. And then when my crowd changed, you know, growing up with my single mom, she always told me, you know, um, you know, surround yourself around like-minded people. And, and that's what kind of kept me within the game uh, of soccer. EJ, I got, I got a question for you because Charlie brought it up about introducing the bling. And I remember specifically we were at a hotel one time and you had just, I don't know, it was probably, <laughs> it was probably a thousand or a couple thousand dollars in jeans that you had worn once. And you were like, bro, do you want them? And you gave them to me. And I remember wearing them for a while and and being inspired by because you were like it, it's people will laugh at it now, but you were Who the first you were the Who first. No, I mean he had uh uh he had some man, I'm trying to think of what what uh what true religion. True religion. religion. It was, no, no. It was, no, it was with an R in the back. Uh, uh. yeah, that was the that was the R was the true religions. Um, right or no? 
No, there's another. But one. he had there was a there was, he had a brand that was uh, something couture uh, that he had given to me. But but the, the point is that I'm trying to make is that I mean for everybody for context sake, uh, you, you were before anybody on the Ed Hardy game, the OJ <laughs> game, all the Rock and Republic. That, that's the one, Rock and Rock Republic. Rock Republic. Producer producer Lisa just gave us that. <laughs> but you had this big polarizing personality, right? And I don't think the game was at a point that it was ready to receive somebody who had opinions. And now you're very opinionated on the, the philosophical side of the game for youth kids. Do you think this current crop of players, do you think that that your your approach, your attitude, your mentality, your competitiveness, your outspokenness would have been well more received, well received now than than in previous generations? And do you think that we have a national team, I guess, that 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 uh, has these types of personalities? Because you always had that big personality. That's a great question, Heath. And absolutely, man. I'm looking at the, the 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 current team right now, and 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 when I look at that team, I look at swag. You know, you know, I know you all follow Timothy Ware, and, and, and you you see the way he dressed, and he's you know he's a he's a uh, you know really big into fashion and and, and jewelry and. Uh, I guess that's a part of today's game. You know, the younger generation, even working with younger players myself, you know, there's so much more advanced. There's so much more skilled and creative. And I just think it comes with the, with, with the, with the, with the sport now, uh, which is good because we always talk about, you know, uh, personality is huge, you know, and uh, I think we're at a point right now where soccer's grown a lot in this country and with the success that the players are having in Europe, uh, like Pulisic and Wes McKinney and Tyler Adams and uh, Rena. American players that we can play in bigger clubs and uh it's not like when I was growing up it was more like uh um you didn't have that opportunity or if you were wearing jewelry you're a prima donna or if you're wearing jewelry and bling you're 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 too arrogant you know but but now it, you know the players are doing the work on the field and they're 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 uh they're um proving that you know with having a lot of success early they they can still perform and play at a high level and it doesn't get in the way of their creativity on the field and uh it's more acceptable now. Well, since now is the perfect time to transition into the national team, since you brought it up, um, you and I see the game relatively the, the, in the same way, Eddie. We've always talked about players who should go, you know, what players need to be successful at the next level, what players need to be successful at the international level. We're, look, we're talking about the number nine position. Both you and I once wore the nine for the U.S. We know what it takes. I think we're both different types of players than, than your average uh, nine. What does the U.S. need now? Who Who is the guy, do you think, that should be starting for the U.S. men's national team come Qatar in the World Cup? I mean, it, it, it's, it's tough because, like you said, it, the, the nines are different than, than when we were. You know, I always tell people, it's funny you say this, and, and no respect, disrespect to the current players right now, they're all talented in, in, in their own ways. Uh, but when it comes to, you know, speed, being dynamic and flair and, uh, you know, putting yourself in, in, a, in situations where you can go at center backs 1v1 and, and, and use your skills, um, I, I feel like I feel like we uh, we, we we lack that right now. Um, but if it was up to me and and you know uh, first game of the the World Cup for me and I and I said something earlier on on uh, with Heath uh, when he mentioned about the the pure the most natural goal scorer um, that he's ever seen and uh, kind of took offense to that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I I did too. I, I yeah. think but you know, any, any, anybody that's seen the game, but, but you know, me, that, I was, that ain't I was, true. I was outspoken. 
you know, I, I went to heat right away, you know, and, and, and I know uh, um, it, it comes with a lot of, you get a lot of backlash, but, but for me, I'd say the young guy, I'd say the young guy right now, uh, I know he's over in Europe right now and he's, 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 you know, he's finding it hard to adapt right now, which, which is normal. And he's young and he, and he has a lot of uh, uh, talent and, and he is a proven goal scorer already at the international level. I think. Uh, Do you think Ricardo uh, Pepe should be the nine starting World Cup? Say that again? Ricardo, Ricardo Pepe. Pepe. Yes. So yes. Even, even if he gets like no burn, let's say going into the World Cup? I just think that, you know. I mean, we can talk about a lot of similar stories like that where they're not playing, but you do well for, you know, you're not maybe playing club, but you do well for your national team coach and the national team coach knows what you're capable of doing. So they always right. feel comfortable when you're out there. I, I feel like, you know, the, the the boy has all the goods. He has all the goods. He does well. He, 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 uh, he's an opportunist. He makes the most of his opportunities. I think sometimes in some of those games, we could have been a little more patient. Now, Eddie, I'm going to jump in and, uh, Say, I like the Ricardo Pepe pick. I think that he does provide some dimensions. Hello? I think he you there? Yeah, yeah, yeah he got, drops oh, it. Hello? We got you, Eddie. So he does hello? drop into those spaces and and uh, figure out ways to hello? bring Eddie, other people in the game. You got us? Hello, hello. Eddie, you there? Oh, man. We hear you, Eddie. <laughs> Are you Try back, Eddie? You there? Hello? Yeah, we hear you. All right, we lost Eddie Johnson there, but I do Hello. want to get into the conversation Yo. about Yo. Ricardo Pepe. You hear us, EJ? He's going in and out with the mute. This is our favorite part of the show, everybody, just so you know. In Soccer You Trust is pre presented by Lisa, Technical Difficulties. Lisa could, Lisa could take care of him. At, yeah, at yeah, we'll figure that, that out in a second. But uh, with regard to Ricardo Pepe, are you surprised, Heath, that that was his selection? Uh, a little bit when I think about you know, when I – and obviously we had a, a debate and a discussion about Ricardo Pepe when he scored, and there was things about his game that you and I have talked about, Jimmy, which is like even when he's not scoring, he still tends to make people, players around him better. Now, I think we have an issue with getting him involved and getting any of our nines involved. But when I think about uh, one that I trust the most, I still think about Ricardo Pepe being the guy. Now, it's hard to think about six months from now now – because I imagine a, a world in which Ricardo Pepe is in a better circumstance than he is now, which is not playing at all, not even coming off the bench on his team. Uh, but I, I'm I'm not surprised with that because I don't know. Maybe Charlie feels differently, but I I do see somebody who that's is impactful in every match that he plays, even if he's not scoring. Yeah, so Char I, I I do ahead, Char I do see I, I do see that. My thing is, you can't go at this age for that long of a time not developing because he's still young. It's if, if Eddie's in his in his late 20s, 30s, and he's not playing at his club, you know what you're gonna get. He's had that experience. Hmm. He's he, he's you know, he's done growing and maturing and, and understanding how to get the most out of matches. He Ricardo Pepe's still growing, he hasn't had that experience yet. So he he still needs the six months of playing time heading into a world cup to make sure that he's fit and sharp before playing. Because I don't think Greg Burhalter will call on him if he's not playing. I, I, I think at this yeah. stage, it's, it's not the case. And to go on to Europe, I'm really interested to see what Eddie thinks about Jordan Pifuk because the man scoring goals for fun, but yeah, I, don't that was think my... he, I think he lacks the athleticism that you're talking about. So, so Eddie, actually, before you jump in, I, and you can bring in Jordan Pifuk in your answer, 
But I wonder what you want to see from the number nine. Is it strictly running the channels to create space potentially between the midfield and back line for our wingers to, to get in there and do their thing? Or do you feel like we need somebody who was a little bit more, let's say, Brian McBride-esque, right? Just a big guy up top that can just bang with the center backs and then lay the ball off to our excellent wingers. Because it feels like what we really need to do is play to our strengths because we have an incredible amount of talent in, in the winger spot and, and in our attacking mid number 10 spot as well. No, Jimmy, you're right. That's, that's, you know, for me, I just, I, I think a combination of everything, someone who has, yeah. has all, has all the goods, um, good hold up play. Like you said, that can, can run the channels and get isolated and, and be dangerous and pull center backs out of positions and create, uh, opportunities, uh, uh for themselves. Um, but, you know, just a, a goal scorer, you know, like Heath was saying, a, a natural goal scorer, you know, that has a combination of everything, you know, that can, you know, create goals on their own. You know, I, I know a lot of those games were relying on, uh, you know, balls into the box, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, service, you know, um, you know, when, when we play against teams that are that are organized in, in, in the back and and uh, that are big center backs, uh, th those crosses aren't going to be as effective, you know, but can we find someone that can, you know, get on the half turn, you know, face defenders, create space for themselves and get shots, get shots off, you know, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dempsey wasn't the most dynamic uh, either, you know, but when he played up there, uh, you know, as, as the nine, you know, he, you know, he did a good job of dropping deep and getting turned and combining with the uh, uh, you know, the other striking partner and, and, and right. scoring goals and being effective and unbalancing those center backs uh, and open up spaces to play balls in behind to the wingers to cross balls in the box. I just think we need more, more, uh, more variety in our in our in our nine. You know, I just think right now it's just, you know, uh, uh, if you know, and I'm not, you know, taking anything away from the player because for me, when you say the nine, he's proven statistically to probably be the best we've ever had, Brian McBride. I feel like that's what we have, and it's time to change that nine yeah, sure, and, what sure. it looks, and, and what it looks like. Well, you were um, you, you did that, and then and then I did that. Yeah, I did it. We did it. We did it. But they saw glimpses of it, you know, like you know, yeah. it was little glimpses of it. But you know, um, you know, uh, I, I I just feel like the the young boy has it, and then uh, you know, just give him give him more of an opportunity. Um, uh, to, to play and and like you said he's he's not playing in Europe right now but you know he's still young and it just has so much upside you know but for me if I was picking a team I just go off a, I'm really big on like how players do for their coaches you know he's mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. Brett, Greg Bohart has given him a chance he's done really really well he's finding himself in a situation where he's he's he started out really really slow he's having a hard time adjusting uh, but I still feel like that doesn't take away. There's there's many situations from players around the world and national teams where things aren't going well for them in club, but the coach knows what they can do and trust them when out on the field. They still find a way to know how to perform and play in that system. And I feel like that's what the young boy does. Eddie, let me ask you this. You know, you, you went through a similar, while we're on Ricardo Pepe, you went through a similar trajectory where you got, you get to Kansas City you're in the national team. I think you scored like eight goals in, in four games there. You kind no, of it was 12 goals and three assists in 11 games. I was living it. I was there with him. Yeah. It was amazing. He was on fire. But, but you had four four in a game, I believe. Oh, you four had, in a game. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he you, did, had yeah. A big, you had a big breakout into the national team. And then all eyes were on you, right? You became the answer to every problem in everybody's mind of like, we finally made it. We're finally this. We're finally that. You signed a new contract, uh, probably one of the biggest ever at the time. Uh, that's and, why I get, and, that's why I gave you those jeans. Yeah. 
I was I, I, I was I wasn't complaining about that, but you got all this hype on you, right? And then with that yeah. came this pressure. Uh and, and so what is it that 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 one you went through uh, once you became a player that had just sort of quickly rose. We could all see the talent, but then all of a sudden it's been validated by the world around you. What's the pressure that comes with that? And how can you sort of apply that to what Ricardo Pepe's going through or other young players? Because the difference now, we're seeing these guys talking about Timo Weah and a number of these guys, they're coming into the national team similar to the age that you did, but there's a large group of them coming in as teenagers on the younger side. Jimmy mentioned it earlier, you know, I don't think it was so much more pressure because when you're young, you're, you know, you have time to make mistakes and learn and grow, um, you know, so I didn't really feel the pressure at, at the time. You know, I, I think the hardest. But thing I feel like, me, but Eddie, I feel like I can do that as a defender. I can I can yeah. learn. But as a striker, you both went through it like you're only even if you even if you're contributing, you're still going to be judged on goal output. So there's a different pressure, I think, for a striker than there is for, for other yeah. players on the field. All things considered. Absolutely. Like I can miss an opportunity and, and, and still make up for it. You, you, you can make a mistake in the back and then, you know, you cost your team, you know? So that's why I said, it's like from a striker's point, like when I was young and I was coming into the game, you know, similar like Pepe, um, it, there wasn't any re really pressure. That's why I was able to relax and, and be myself on the field and, 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 and score goals without uh, having all of the, the anxiety and the pressure and the expectations because no one expected, you know, yeah, we had this, you know, the, the, the potential to do these things. Um, but I think by being young, you know, uh, and, and understanding that I'm young and understanding that, you know, it's like, you know, I'm riding the wave right now. Eventually I know this wave's going to crash, you know, but I'm still young, you know, uh, you know, it's all about being in the moment and it's about rhythm, you know, and that's something I used to always tell myself, I got a good rhythm right now. You know, what, what is it that I'm doing? How, you know, to, to keep this rhythm, you know, and, and how to channel out everything else that, uh, that's going on out there so it doesn't get in the way of my creativity. But I think it was what, what happened to me was, and it, and it didn't happen to him, it was, my injury is what happened to me. You know, my toe injury is what got me out of my rhythm. And a lot of people don't know that. Before the toe injury, I was on fire. Couldn't no one Dude, stop fire. I fire. I, I was there. I night. saw it. Yes. What happened and when I started feeling the pressure, he to your, to your, uh, to your, uh, 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 question is um I'm having a nightmare right now. Right? Was uh was uh when I came back from the toe injury, I was putting too much pressure on myself to get back to the level of playing. I mean the level of play that I, and, and sharpness that I was, and that's when it that's when I started feeling all the pressure because I wasn't the same, you know, because I lost that rhythm. Mm. EJ, when when yeah. you look back at your time as a professional soccer player, what I, I think I always think about your potential. I, I always think, you know, there was those times where you think about what if, what if this, what if that? And, you know, I think about your potential. I think about my potential, you know, where, where that could have led us if we absolutely played to the best of our ability and, and made up, uh, made the difference. What would you change if you could go back in time, knowing what you know now and, and what would you work on? do you think to, to make sure that you maximize that potential and where do you think you'd be playing? Well, you know, we, you know, both of us were all, we were all involved in the youth national team. And, 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 and I just feel like a part of the reasons why our careers were like they are. And a lot of people don't, you know, they know it, but they don't speak about it. When you were young back then, you weren't, you weren't pushed to go to Europe. Remember Heath knows this, you know, when we were, when we were in residency, 
it was more the, the the youth soccer federation was pushing us to go to MLS to help grow the league when there was European opportunities there from playing in tournaments abroad when we used to go on with these youth national teams. And, and that's what I would say is different now and why these kids are getting a lot of more opportunities right now is because, when, you know, we were kind of like the sacrifices to build the league where it was, we don't want you to go to Europe. We got a professional league here. You can develop here. Um, so I think if the mentality was different back then, younger players coming up through the residency program, uh, if we could have had more exp- uh, uh, opportunities to go to Europe and, and, and uh uh, develop like the rest of these young players are, are developing, you know, we could have saw uh, what we're seeing now, the Polistics, the, the, the West McKinney's, um, the Gio Reynas, you know, all of these kids doing well and, 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 and big clubs, you know. Um, so uh, if I can change anything, I wish I would have went to Benfica, honestly. Uh, when I had the chance to go to Benfica, I turned it down. Uh, and then I started negotiating with the MLS um, I think Benfica would have been great for my would have been great for me from a developmental standpoint. Big club, young player. I uh, would have got Champions League experience. Um, they, you know, they do well in Europe. I and mean, when the players do well from there, they go on to, you know, you know, other bigger clubs. And I think if, you know, when I go back and look at it, I wish I wish I would have made that jump. But, you know, what was, your, what was your hesitation? Thing, on, honestly, I was comfortable. I, I was comfortable in, in MLS. Uh, like I said, I, I was on fire. Uh, I was having great money thrown at me. And I was looking at really like lifestyle, being close to family and being able to help family and still have a normal life and not having to learn another language. You know, like I said, the mentality, my mentality was different. You know, it wasn't like how I'm preaching to the younger kids right now. Uh, when I did finally go over to Europe and, you know, you know, the things that I... The things that I hadn't developed, you know, you know, which didn't allow me to be successful when I was over in Europe, I wish I would have went at a younger age that would have prepared me better to make that jump from from like a Benfica that didn't go to England. Um, and, and, and I just feel like, uh, like I said, the mentality wasn't there. You know, I didn't really have a, a real hunger to go play in Europe because I was doing really, really well in America and making really, really good money. So, Eddie, I would jump in because I was with you uh, when you made the move to Fulham. You left Kansas City to yeah. go and uh, you were on fire. And I remember in the locker room to help you refine that rhythm to kind of bring back an answer you mentioned before. You would watch a lot of uh, video of you scoring goals to kind of like get back into that mindset. Like, this is how it yeah. feels. I want to get that feeling again. And I thought it was really powerful, the visualization of that. And so I just want to make sure everybody knew the little things that Eddie was doing to have success. And that was seeing and watching him have success on the field. And I think that's really important for young players to think about as well. But when you left to go to, to Europe, I wonder, because I'm sure you're encouraging some of your young players, if they're ready to go and they have the talent, they should go do it, which I think is important because you get out of your comfort zone. Right. But for you, you ended up going, but you bounced around a little bit. Like you went to Fulham, right. but you went on loan a few times. You went down to Greece. And, and I think what you learn, and maybe you can correct me here if I'm wrong, and all of you guys played in Europe, and I had a a short cup of coffee over there as well with like Pozon in Poland. But, but when you're over at MLS and you're there, as you say, Eddie, they, they are relying on you to build the league. It's they're, they're going to cater to you in your emotions. They want to make sure you're feeling good and all that stuff. And then when you go over to Europe, they just don't care about your feelings. You're either good or you're not. And if you're not good consistently, well, then you get to wait your turn until you get another opportunity to be good again. 
And I think that's a really harsh thing to learn, you know, at, at any age, if you haven't been in that environment before, but I think it does ultimately make you tougher. I think you came back from that experience a lot tougher. Is there anything in there? Because you had a chance to train with Manchester United before, as I said at the beginning, you know, how pivotal was that? That advice, I remember you coming back going, Luis Saha is the man. You know, he had so much great insight for me about how to play the position to be better at it. And that's when you came back and you were still on fire. You were already on fire going into that. But coming out of that, you were also on fire. Yeah, I think, too. You know, I, I also went to Europe in the, in the, in the, uh, the, the, the winter, right? A transfer window. Right, right. So coming off of off season in the MLS where I was sitting around for freaking two months, you know, all right. of all of November because uh, we didn't make the, I don't know if we made the playoffs, but all of November, all of December, January camp, then boom, I get a call from Clint Dempsey, Clint Dempsey, like two days into the January camp. And he was basically just telling me, you know, hey, Roy Hodgson really likes you, wanted to know if you'd be interested in coming into Fulham. You know, Clint, Clint was, you know, was the first one to call me and then right after Clint called me, boom, Rich called me like Monskin right after that. EJ, like, honestly, you're going to have to get on a plane later on tonight. I'm like, a plane later on tonight? He's <laughs> like, yeah, like, you know, Fulham, Premiership. Uh, I had already turned down Derby County, didn't go to Benfica. And, you know, uh, you know, Rich has been really good about, you know, uh, um, you know, you know, if you're doing the work on the field, the opportunities are the opportunities to come. And, 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 and at a certain point, certain opportunities you got to take, you know, that can help further your development and all that stuff. He's always giving me great advice in my career and uh, has never steered me wrong. And so I was like, you know what? He's right. So, boom, two days into the camp, boom, I'm trained that morning with the national team. I'm on a plane going to London Heathrow the, 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 the next day. And, and when I got there, it was just like it was it was just hard to catch up. Like they were halfway through the season. I, I wasn't fit. I wasn't sharp. You know, they had me doing all of these extra, all of this extra training and all of this fitness and stuff. And then, you know, we survive. We stay up in the premiership. And, uh, you know, they loan me out the next year uh, they, to Carter City. And, uh, you know, he talked about it earlier, you know, being a young player and uh, dealing with all of that expectations and standards over there. It's another type of pressure. You know, like you said, if you're not good, you're not good, you know, and and, and money's not an issue. If they spend money on you, if you don't perform, they'll they'll find the next you know, uh, player. And so that next season when they loaned me out, it was kind of like a slap in the face, you know, basically saying they don't feel like I'm ready right now. So we're going to loan you out for a season long loan to Cardiff City. And so when I went to Carter City, I found myself in a in a you know in the championship. But I was there with some really good strikers: Michael Chopra. You, I don't know if you all remember those names. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Jay Bothroyd, and then Ross McCormick. Ross McCormick came from the Scottish League, and in that season when we were there, he scored freaking thirty some goals in the championship. <laughs> it's like I I felt like I I never really got a real good shot of mm -hmm. of, of of getting a chance in Europe because of. The, the expectations and and how low we were on the table and and the pressure to stay up in the premiership and uh um you know when you get the opportunity you all know Heath and, and Charlie playing over there you get it you don't take it you know they, they you, there's really no second chance they already you know gave you the shirt and 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 and, and you don't take it they, they're looking for the next you know player you're, you're hoping for injuries along the way to try and get another sniff but uh at that point, it was more thinking about, you know, other opportunities on how I can still, uh, you know, get games and, uh, you know, stay in Europe as long as possible. And then when the Carter City opportunity came, I, I went, you know, but it was there. It was challenging, too, as well. Um, you know, for me, like I said, I'm working with the younger generation. There was a lot of 
tools and attributes that that I hadn't developed yet. And and like in America, you said, Jimmy, they more cater to younger players over there where they don't. And in America, they're more patient over there. They're not patient, you know, and uh, there's a lot of pressure. And, uh, you know, I just think that uh, if, I, if I got a better chance, you know, I can go back and say I could have, you know, you know, done better. Um, but in the midst of all of that, when I was over there, all of the experiences that I learned good and bad, I'm able to bring it back and now give it to the younger generation over here in America. And that's what I'm doing. You mentioned environment, a demanding environment, which is something that it wasn't growing up in the MLS at 17, you know, 18, 19, it wasn't really demanding, you know, but over in Europe, I'm looking and there's, you know, 16 year olds coming up strikers training with the first team, you know, um, you know, and better than, you know, have certain attributes that were better than me already at 16, 17. And so you look at what that, you know, those environments were like and why those players were developing like that. And so the whole experience of playing over there, it maybe didn't work for me as a player, but it's put me in a position right now that with what I'm doing with the younger environment, you know, you got these eight, nine, 10 years old where, you know, I've created a real serious and demanding environment and you're able to see the fruits of their labor by, you know, uh, you know, creating environments like that, what these kids are doing now at, at a young age where, you know, that, you know, I couldn't even do when I was a pro, you know, as far as their, te- <laughs> their technique and how they see the game and how they understand the game. Uh, so to the, to the critics, it probably didn't go well for me, but it really put me in a good position uh, where I am right now to be able to keep growing the game and giving back to the game, everything the game gave me. I, yeah, I love man. that. I, and I'm dying at the comments that I'm seeing from from over here with mass, <laughs> Massacre in the Forest, and I, I do have a wine cellar. Yeah. Eddie, I got a question for you. On that note, you know, you've obviously uh, – I've been watching your journey as a coach – You've been outspoken against MLS, U.S. soccer, things that you don't agree with, right? And I guess, what is it you hope to achieve? You've got a lot of kids in environments, and one of the things that I read a lot about is that, you know, these kids haven't been in clubs. They haven't been playing matches. They've been in the lab, right? They've been learning the fundamentals. They've been learning the education of the sport. You also have a son that's gone back and forth between football and soccer, and you're going through that journey as well. What is, what is it that you're seeing in terms of goal, your, your goal that you're trying to achieve, the, the specialization of, of single sport and that sort of thing. Sort of what, 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 what's your end game with all this? Because it could have been easy for you to just sort of be like, you know, I made my money. I'm good. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I could sit and watch the TV and I can, I can bench press 225 yeah. anytime bench I want, press, suckers. You know? or, like, or, 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 or lie to a lot of the parents, like a lot of these trainers do and stuff and say their kids are getting better to, 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 to put myself in a, better position financially uh but that's something i can't do you know i've always been i've always been a hard worker you know i've always uh, uh been a big uh believer on everything is earned not given and uh you know nothing was given to me so why would i teach the kids that it's going to be easy uh for them uh my end goal is is you know when i retired and i i resided back in orlando uh um you know, I was trying to figure out how can I stay within the game? Uh, you know, I started talking to Rich and I was, you know, kind of coming up with, a, you know, different ideas on, you know, what it was that I like about soccer or where can I see myself, you know, whether it was broadcasting, whether it was being an ambassador for the game and going around and, you know, just, you know, scouting, you know, you know young talent for U.S. soccer, whatever, whatever 
it was I wanted to still be within the game. But I, I knew once I stayed within the game, I wanted to do it my way. I didn't want to do it nobody else's way. I didn't want nobody to always be telling me what to do. You know, it was the first time in my life I've been in a position to do it how I wanted to do it. And and what I realized just watching, you know, you know, being a young kid growing up playing soccer in this country and then just, you know, after retiring and coming back and watching you soccer, I just feel like there's not like kids don't get enough touch touches on the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, in, a, in a team format setting, these young kids, uh, let's just say, let's just say best case scenario, they're training four days a week, an hour and a half, an hour and a half a, a, a day, uh, four times a week. That's what, six hours of work? Let's say six hours of work. Um, what, That's in what a team I, environment too, though, right? So they're not necessarily in, touching in, the ball. Those exactly. Hours. So yeah. in, a, in a team environment where everything is team oriented, where how we're going to play. Uh, so not a really a lot of positional specific work. And if it is positional specific work, it's a lot of stopping and walking through, you know. And so what I realized and 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 and, and remember, this was all like a, a, a test is with I know you all see him and I'm very outspoken about him. It's is is Rayline, the little kid Rayline that I train, uh, who who is 10 years old right now. And for me, the best 10 year old in this country. And I, and I say that humbly you know like this kid and you all will see him one day and uh uh, i tell everyone you know anyone in the soccer world right now you know from mls uh, standpoint u.s soccer like this kid is like the neymar american neymar and and he is like a true testament to you know what it is that i've that i've been doing down here with the younger generation you know he's been consistently with me for the last four and a half years and what we did is we just we say no club you know, because when his parents came to me, they said, you know, clubs don't allow him to dribble. He loves dribbling. If he dribbles too much, the coach always takes him off the field and sit him down. You know, and we don't want our son to lose his, his, his love for the game, you know. And so, you know, I said, you know what? And after I started doing all of my studying and stuff when it came to player development and, you know, at what age certain kids should be focusing on certain skill sets and, and attributes they should be developing at certain ages – you know, and in, in, in between the ages of eight to 12, uh, it, it, it's, the, it's the foundation where it's really important that the attributes, their dribbling ability, their comfortability on the ball, you know, their first touch, you know, how, you know, how they see the game, you know, um, their ability to think for oneself and, and, and think for players around them, um, you know, how to create an environment around there to bring those attributes to life. And what I realized with him is, you know, the, the the more touches on the ball, the more natural these skill sets become. And mm-hmm. so, you know, when I started working with him and seeing the progression that he was making, you know, we started to draw a lot of more attention to younger kids his age, uh, not only in Florida, but around the country that would literally come in and fly in and want to work, you know, with me and, uh, um, uh, you know, you know, see what this environment was about and why, why it's so real and why this kid's developing this way. Um, it's like anything. It's, it's muscle memory. You know, how, 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 Eddie, how close is he to, to Freddie Adu? So, like, if, better. if we were better than Freddie in his prime when he was a young better, player, better, he's better. What this position is no going to be? A, what's he going to, what, what would you position a, a, a him? A 10. He's going to be a 10. He's a 10, and he's better than Freddie Adu when Freddie was at his prime as a 14 and I, year and, old. I, and I love Freddie. Like, yes, I know. I, I you know. Ask anybody that has seen this kid, like, this kid is the real deal. And 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 how he's developed, I've been able to s- s- speak upon. This is what player development should like, 
Kids mm-hmm. shouldn't, for me, be playing club soccer. It should be more about developing skill sets. And once they start getting to a certain age, and I say 11, 12, from 8, 8 9, 10, 11, 12, then that's when you can start teaching them, you know, you know, how to play in a system and the tactical uh, aspect of the game and how to see the game and how to play the game. But but up until then, it should just be development, 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 three v three, three v three tournaments. Yeah, uh, say, do you, think you know, five v five tournaments. Yeah, um, but 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 injecting that confidence into them, and the only way to inject that confidence and for those skills to become natural is more repetitions on the ball, where club do, don't allow that. You know. I, I, I think a lot of parents that, that I've talked to that have seen your your, your tapes and, and how you're coaching, they I think the one thing that comes to mind is are you can you turn any young kid that has maybe not played the game into the next Raylon? Or is it did Raylon come with skill? He had like been probably if you've been working with him for four years as a six-year-old, was he the best six-year-old you had already seen? You said, Okay, now I can I can build off of that or did he come in and you're like oh he's an athletic kid he likes the game but now i can take him to a whole nother level so parents know hey ej can turn my kid who, who's just learning into like a, a a division one college player like i can put him on that track or is it he has to have shown a little bit more than your average six-year-old now i, I can do i can do both okay I, I can i can take a good kid coming in you know, good foundation and make him great. That's the most EJ answer ever. I by love the way. it. I love, I love it. it. So yeah. I can do both. Hey, he's a real coach. Baby. He can work with anybody <laughs> and make it and make them great. A part of that, though, too, also uh, revolves around the individual, their mentality. You know, uh, being young, teaching them. You know that this is the type of mentality you're going to have if this is what you're pursuing and you're chasing. Right? This got to be a lot of sacrificing time away from other things and, and, and dedicating it to your craft. And, uh, you know, that's one of the first things I, I evaluate in a kid when I'm working with the kid, are you here because you want to be here? Or Cause your parents want you to be here, um, you know, and what, 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 what do you want to get out of the game? Mm-hmm. Uh, Raylan was already at a good space, uh, from a coordination standpoint. Like, so his dad was a football player and mm-hmm. played college in football. So his dad had already exposed him to like ladders and all of that stuff. So his coordination was really good. Uh, balance, he, yeah. His balance was good. Yeah. Um, you want to hear a funny story? Who Rayline? Th- this is funny, Jimmy. You're gonna love this one. So Rayline's, who who inspired Rayline apart from uh, uh, being a Neymar fan, his other inspiration other Jimmy than Conrad. Neymar. Oh my was, god! I'd fall, no, I'd fall over no, right now if that was my Jimmy. <laughs> Will John. Will, Will John? Will, no Will Johnson. Will Johnson from Kansas City. Will no, John. John. No, Will John. Will John. Will John. Will John. Will Adinho. Will Adinho. Will John. Will John. So Will John has this YouTube thing, right? Yeah, right. And he's teaching kids how to do all of these skills. Wow. So Rayline used to watch Will John and, and learn how to do skills. Yeah. So, so if you That's look at the progression of him in the beginning, you know, he can do the skills, but it was always like falling down and stuff, you know. Right, you know, right. Balance wasn't good. Just like Will stuff. John, I think he always fell down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but, I but just he was at a, Will John, by the way, I apologize. But but he was at a good space, 
and and it was easy for me to you know fine tune other things that that he was deficient in and and uh, give those areas more attention in, until he became more uh, stable and in better balance and better control of the ball. Uh, other other uh, and then uh, that's a good point. In the beginning, I was only targeting kids that already had a good foundation because it was all new to me, and so mm-hmm. as I started getting a feel for it. And, and, and the players were, were, were actually teaching me as I was going, you know, right. and I was learning through the players because all every player uh, uh, needs other uh, have other needs and wants. And and, um, and so when I started working with players and players were getting better than I already got a foundation, I said the, the real test for me is going to be, you know, taking a player that's not good, you know, you know, not a good foundation, new to the game, but love the game. And then how can you make that kid a real player? And uh that's when I realized this was my, my, my calling and, 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 and why I love it so much and, and uh, why, you know, I, um, I think it's important, you know, that we all talk about it and you all are making a difference from, 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 you know, you know, outside of the field, but the more players that we can get that, that, that have played the game, you know, like, like in the rest of the world, you look at these kids at these academies, those, those coaches have played for either that club or played at a professional level the more players that we can get that have played at a high level back working with these kids at the grassroots, the more, the more, uh, Clint Dempsey's you'll see, Charlie Davis, you'll see, uh, Landon Donovan's, you'll see Jimmy Conrad's, Jimmy Conrad's, because, Um, but the, but the talent is there. It's just about creating the right environment and the patient. And then the patience, man, it's a, it's a patient thing, man. You see all these grays, from these little kids. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm shocked yeah. at seeing the gray in your beard. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, I, when you popped up on the screen, I said, I'm not, I'm not gonna, oh, he, I'm, this stress is real. Yeah, I'm not, <laughs> not, not going to get no Beijing either, man. I call it season, <laughs> it's seasoning. Season. EJ, you, you, no touched on it, you touched on it a little bit as far as the growth as you're teaching, you're also learning from, from these right. kids. How is it as a father to teach your kid who's been in and out of the game, but all of a sudden – it feels like things clicked. Like he's, he sees, Oh man, I can be good at this sport, but you're, you're also, you want your son to be the best. You, you want your blood to be the best, but you're teaching right. Raylon, who's the best 10 year old in the world. Right. Yeah. It feels like, how do you navigate the competitive nature that you have in yourself? And then you're trying to instill in your son to be the best while continuing, you know, to, to push Raylan and, and seeing how his greatness is evolving and, and trying to make sure that your son's trying to basically follow your footsteps and, and right. be a professional soccer player and be playing right. Champions League one day. Right. That's a good question. Uh, well, I, I, I never, like my mom never forced me to play any sport. You know, if I wanted to play a sport, she, she, uh, she, she signed me up for it. Same thing with my son. You know, I can introduce him to the game. I can, to, of soccer, I can introduce him to basketball, football, but I'm going to support him in whatever decision he wants to uh, uh, make or whatever sport he wants to play. And when I did introduce him to soccer, he liked it, but he didn't he didn't love it enough to want, want me to train him. He just wanted to go and you know, like every young kid, and just scrimmage and play and score goals. And uh, you know, that's what he did. You know, and then the hope of it was that he was going to develop some love and passion for the game once we had him in like these recreational leagues when he was little. Uh, you know, that something will spark him and, and uh, you know, you know, push him to want more and, and, and get more out of the game and play at a high level like me one day. And uh, I never really saw that, you know, within him. And, uh, you know, maybe it can be because I'm divorced and he was living in California and I'm in Florida. Um, 
and I'm not there every day. Uh, but the pandemic, the, the pandemic, when the whole pandemic started, you know, my ex-wife allowed me to have him for about eight months. Mm. And so we come to train every day and I'd be on the field with the kids that are dedicated that I, that I, that I mentor. And then he'd be on a complete opposite field going back and forth from throwing a football with Raylon's dad or, or, or shooting at Raylon's dad in, in the goal. And uh, I said to him one day, I said, you don't want to just try to train. He never would never let me train and would cry if I trained. I go, you don't want me to train? He goes, no. And then one day he came and goes, you know what? I want to I want to train. And uh, believe it or not, deep down inside, I think it's the relationship that I build with Rayline that has inspired him to want to play the sport. And with the success mm. and the growth of Rayline and how he's progressing has made him want want to you know, play the sport. And then when he started training, he started seeing the results really quick. You know, he catches on and anything you're talking about me, an athlete, he, this boy is an athlete. He can play any sport. He's faster than me when I was younger. He's more explosive than me. He's a multi-sport player. And so when he started seeing how quickly he was progressing, he started to fall more and more in love with the sport. And then in eight months, what I did with this kid, I was like, wow, you know, and then the hard thing was when everything opened back up was keeping him here in Florida. You know, right. mom was back in California. And so me being here in Florida and having a lot of commitments to Florida put me in a tough space. Um, but, you know, like every father, you know, and, you know, you know, our job is to give our kids the best opportunities and put them in the right environments possible. And when you come to, and when it comes to like soccer in America, you know, I hate to say it, you know, Keith, but California, you know, the West Coast has the. You know, the, 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 you know, has a strong player pool of players and proven players where they produce good players. And so I did a re bunch of research and put him around some of the best trainers so he can continue to, to develop and grow and, and, you know, you know, keep working. And the time he spends with me, we work. Um, but at some point, you know, uh, you know, try and get him down here full time and convince the mom. And, and, and how I've been trying to do that is, you know, by you know, keep showing her the, the amount of kids that keep moving from different states to come down here to Florida for me to develop them. You know, um, so I think, you know, you know, once he realized, you know, uh, you know, the work that has to be put in in order to be get to be good at it. And, and he saw how in a quick uh, uh, time he was able to become really, really good. And, uh, you know, like I said, with the success that Raylines have, they're like brothers. Like they literally talk to each other every day on the phone. You know, they're like two peas in a pot. And so, you know, I, I found that that and then and then me, Eddie's his dad, you know, so, you know, he's got the confidence like me, you know, oh, of course, <laughs> that's not going freaking, anywhere. He's yeah. freaking, you know, cocky like me and, 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 and he talks smack just like me, you know, and, uh, and and he backs it up, man. He's like a spitting image of me, but like a better looking version of me with nice hair. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I just think that competitive nature is in him, man. You know, he sees the clips. You know, he was young when I, you know, pr pretty young when I retired. Didn't really get a chance to, you know, remember my career. But, you know, these kids are so smart. They're on YouTube and stuff. And I think when he goes back and he look at highlights, you know, and seeing me score goals, you know, that that drives him too as well. And he tells me all the time, he's like, man, I'll be way better than you, man. I was like, all right. <laughs> like, all right That's, you that know. means you're doing a good job. If he thinks yeah, that he's going to be better than you, you're doing exactly said, the right said, thing. All so. right, man. I'm saying, you sure you're ready, you're ready to, you know, walk down that road? That's a, that's a, you sure you probably don't want to play football? <laughs> you don't want them to use nothing against you because you're Eddie Johnson's son, you know? Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. You know, I'll be telling him, boy, you got, hey, you're going to have to be 10 times better. 
<laughs> it sounds like he's going to. And and I feel like your end game, Eddie, is that you want your son and, and Raylon to be driving the U.S. men's national team to World Cup glory in 2032 or 2036 or whatever. And I think you could retire a happy man if, if that happens. So we uh, we definitely yeah. wish you the best. And obviously, yeah. everything that you're doing to grow the game. Now, we have one last question before we let you go. And again, we appreciate your time, Mr. Eddie Johnson. What is your best or favorite jersey swap that you had in your career? Somebody that you really admired that you got their jersey. Don't say Charlie Davies because then his ego is going to blow up. Hey, uh, is there, is hey I will it, say, I will say, mine would have been Robinho till Eddie ran on the field and took it in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, took it, took it, and then and then it got stolen. No way! No way! Oh, no way. Yeah. So so I I swapped and then it didn't get it, and then I you know how you you know give it to whoever the wash the equipment. I never got it. <laughs> oh man! Oh boy! Yeah. Hey, never you want to talk about Eddie being fast? I never saw Eddie fly off off, off from, <laughs> from the bench to Robinho quicker in my life to get that shirt. But uh, Charlie but you, knows. Yeah. Charlie knows those are our players growing up, man. Robinho R nine. Come on, oh. man. Like, the swag. But my favorite jersey swap was the was this. Uh, it was it was bittersweet because. I did it at halftime, and I want to see if y'all remember, uh, Charlie and uh, uh, well, all of you. I did it at halftime, and I got chewed out after the game. So mm. it was Carlos Tevez. Carlos I, Tevez. Yeah, I watched it. Oh, I watched it. <laughs> Argentina Carlos game? Tevez. We're getting killed in Copa America by Argentina at halftime. You remember we scored? I scored the PK. Yeah, yeah. And then I, and I did a jersey swap at Outside? Halftime. Like outside on the field? On the <laughs> field. A jersey swap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Classic Eddie Johnson, huh? Classic Eddie Johnson. Well, you got you also got a coach that will not Bob Bradley will yeah. not be okay with that. That's what I'm saying, bro. But I was in, I was I was super like just like zoned out. But but it's funny because Carlos Tevez and I we we met before at the U17 level. We played in a uh, Heath. You remember? In, yeah, in in, in, in Italy. Italy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the Italy tournament, and and. We played, and he, you know, we can speak. That was probably the best kid like I've no, ever seen. He at played age. futsal. His foot was on top of the ball all the time, the rolling, entire rolling, time. Rolling, like rolling. he couldn't get. Like he walked through our whole entire team. He scored three goals <laughs> at halftime. He scored three goals at halftime, and they took him out. And we almost came back in. We lost. Ended up losing three two. But they took him out. Like thank God they took him out. Like this guy was unbelievable. And when I was walking off the field, he remembered me from that youth game. He. His English was perfect, and he said, Johnson, you know, Johnson. And we talked for a little bit, and remember, Italy, we're not, you know, tournament. And and I go, holy, like, crap, this guy, like, remember me, man. Like, something I must have did in that game or the way I played, you know, you know, you know, real, recognize real. And so when I go back and I tell all of the kids that, I was like, normally I'm like, like he said, I'm, if I see somebody that I really admire, I'm freaking going to run to him. But this is one of those things. I was super emotional. We were losing. Uh, you know, a lot of us were being evaluated by Bob Bradley on that team, and it was a, it was a, it was one of the quote yeah, stressful. The, it was stressful. The, yeah. the second team, it wasn't the, the 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 starting team, and we were trying to make an impression, and and we were getting our bus kicked. And then when he wanted to swap jerseys, I swapped. And then after the game, you remember when 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 you know Bob Bradley was giving it to all of us? He mentioned something about me swapping a jersey, and, 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 <laughs> and Eddie swapping jerseys, and we're getting our, you know, like yeah. So that was probably my most. Memorable, That's memorable a memorable one, though. Uh, That's a memorable yeah. one. Hey, that team that team was an all star team, so I mean, yeah, no, seriously, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
maybe one of the best yeah. national teams we've ever played against. They were yeah. they were easily, stacked. for me were easily stacked. for me the they best. I tell everybody for me the best national team I've ever played against. Well, Eddie Johnson, thank you so much for your time. Continued success in your second career as being an excellent trainer of the next generation. We look forward to your players really inspiring uh, our national team moving forward. You are a man, a myth, and a legend. It was awesome to be your teammate, play against you, and I'm excited you're doing well post-career. Boys, thank you so much, man. Good to see y'all's faces, man. Miss you all. When you're in Orlando, y'all got to come check these kids out, man, honestly. If you're here team gang come check the kids out man i'm telling you you'd be really 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 uh proud of these kids man the next generation is you know in good hands now eddie where can everybody find you on social media so they can see all these clips well i just work uh, uh off my instagram so eddie underscore johnson seven you know there it is everybody make sure you drop him a follow on instagram eddie johnson man myth Thanks legend lot, thank man. you so much eddie all, all right, day. everybody, we're going to take our first and only break. And when we come back, it'll be a very quick summation of what we just heard from the great Eddie Johnson. Do not go anywhere. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to In Soccer We Trust. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Hollywood Heath Pierce and Charlie Chuck Wagon Davies. We just had our former teammates with the U.S. Men's National Team, Eddie Johnson, on. And that's what we do here on the show. We get you great guests week in and week out. Excited to have him. Charlie, I'm coming to you first as our resident striker on the show. Anything stand out for you with that Eddie Johnson interview? You yeah. had a lot to say in a lot of different areas. Uh, a lot to say. Uh, man, I just love what he's doing for 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 the, the sport, just developing these young kids. And I love that he said, yeah, at first it was – I was taking the best young players and trying to develop them and put them on a fast track. But now it's any player, any player I'm going, I'm trying to walk them through how to love the sport, how to appreciate the sport and then how to grow. And so mm -hmm. that for me is, is, uh, is really cool. What EJ is doing. And Heath, uh, I really like the positional awareness stuff that he's talking about because when I'm out here coaching or if I'm, let's say observing coaches that are doing their thing with teams, you can see a lot of the players of varying ages lack any kind of positional or situational awareness of what they should be doing and what kind of decisions they should be making. And it's not being really reinforced one way or the other. And that obviously bums us out because I think we can all see that there's so much talent here that maybe isn't being nurtured in the right way. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's pretty incredible. The, just his perspective on, on the game and, and more so his, you guys know Eddie. Eddie at times had great attitude. Uh, sometimes he had a bad attitude. Sometimes he had a misunderstood attitude. And he's now harnessed all of that into making the next generation better. Which I find, you know, uh, one of the stories I wanted to, wanted to tell. I'll be quick with it. I went into Eddie Johnson's room on on a camp, and him and Clint Dempsey were roommates, and they were fight like about to fist fight over over like <laughs> over like somebody not returning gear or something. The most <laughs> arbitrary fight ever and they were almost to the point of blows and i remember stepping in there being like and i stepped in the middle i was like guys what, <laughs> like stop fighting you know and they were just like bro stay out of this and they just went after each other and it was on and on hours hours <laughs> they were in each other's faces after lunch after dinner still fighting and i remember thinking about like these are really two 
big personalities and their roommates and they're like best friends. And I was, and, and as I, as I see in the, the world in which, uh, they've retired and I see the passion and the commitment they have to everything they're going to do, they've gotten to a point personality wise, love them or hate them, uh, famous or infamous where they are going to be themselves. And I mm -hmm. think that is a sign. And the first generation we've got it of players that are going to be themselves. Yeah. You have others, personalities and caricatures of, of generations past on TV and stuff like that. But they are going to be themselves, like them or hate them. And I think that's a huge part of our growth for soccer in the U.S. because he's got conviction in everything that he does. And he's not doing what he thinks is the right thing that parents want him to do or saying what he feels is the right thing in the media. He's being himself. And I think that pool of people that are willing to be that bold are going to transform the game in the way that we want it to from being the suburban game where we're making a bunch of false promises to kids and parents and promising their kids are going to be great to something much more tangible where we're actually uh, developing people, developing characters. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's just a really cool thing to see come to life. If you know, for, for all of us, especially if you've known him for as long as we have. Well, that's what I was going to jump in and say that because we've known him for, for many, many years, this is the first time I feel like I've seen him at peace. Usually there was always something it felt like at least tearing him apart on the inside, whether I didn't want to get into this because I didn't want to make it uh, too sentimental. But I know that when he signed that big, big contract in MLS, certain people in his life were coming out of the woodwork who had never really weren't there for him, that that he was counting on to be there for him. And they didn't. They weren't until the money showed up. And that's got to mess with you. You know, you're 19, mm -hmm. 20, 21. You make a million dollar contract. And, and all of a sudden somebody and or other many people come out of the woodwork and now looking for handouts or all of a sudden your best buddy. And you're like, wait, wait, what? You know? And so I know he was conflicted a lot for a lot, a good portion of his career and, and maybe in that trust department. And now I feel like he's at peace because to your point, Keith, and, and the things that you've been saying too, Charlie, he, he knows who he wants to be and what he wants to do. And, and now he's staying true to himself without having to apologize or have to be anybody he's not. And I think that's fantastic, not only for the game itself and the players he's developing, but for Eddie Johnson as a human being. And uh, I'm really proud of him. I mean, I, I never thought this is the field he would get into. I didn't know what he was going to do. I mean, I think when we're playing, you kind of look around the room and the locker room, like, I wonder what that guy's going to be, you know, when he's done. And, and I wonder if he's going to, is he going to coach? Is he going to go front office? Is he just going to disappear and be like a real estate guy? Like, you just don't know. Well, to, what, to, what to, your, to your point, Jimmy, most people, when you play, you, you never think about what comes next because the goal has always been, ah, have a long, successful career and retire. And then you don't have to work. But I think now people are understanding your career ends a lot sooner than you think. And you have much more uh, life to live after mm -hmm. you're done playing. Mm -hmm. And that even if you made all the money in the world, you still need purpose. You still need, mm -hmm. you still need mm -hmm. to get up and do something. And so now you're starting to see more people take, take ownership in clubs, get involved in sporting director. And it's not just relying on coaching. You know, right, unless right. unless that's your passion and you you, you want to be doing more hours than you did as a player in the locker room. But now people are saying, oh, there's other options and, and starting to think about other options. So um, I'm happy to see that he's found something that he's really passionate about and, and good at. Yeah, I agree. And I'm, I'm excited to see this Raylon kid and his own son to see uh, how far they go. It's one of those hoop dreams type situations where hoop you got a bunch of talented kids and, and due to some circumstances that are usually outside of their control and how it impacts them and how they well, handle that, that adversity. Heath. Well, what he said was what I found interesting on that was he was like, this is a test. Mm -hmm. And I think that's 
a really important word to use because you don't know if you're doing right by the kid by making him train in a single sport all the time forever, right? Raylon could be the example of somebody who burns out by 17. He could, right? There, right? You're right. But he could become the example of somebody that isn't for everyone, but is the right uh, mentality, the right mm -hmm. character, mm -hmm. the right uh, approach to the game. You 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 talked. You got to be willing to want to train. You got to be willing to want to work hard. And that is not 100%. everyone. Jimmy, you work with kids. I, I I do it to a small degree, but you work with them enough to know that like wow. And we've all played with somebody where you go, that's the best player I've ever seen, but mm -hmm. they're not going to be shit because they, they don't have the right mentality. Mm -hmm. They're not going to work for it. They know they've got what they've got and it's good enough for them. Mm -hmm. And, and so the test of that, I think is going to be really interesting and it's going to come with a lot more of like the mental, uh, as much as the physical in terms of how we, how we look back at this Raylon kid because of how good he is and what type of, uh, again, uh, mentality he has, what his temperament is, what his, you know, his, his, his support health, system, all health. That, yeah, health, yeah, health, all those things as he, you know, he's 10, right. At 13, 14, when he can't do he, that, he said he's better than Freddie Adu. He said he's better yeah. than Freddie Adu. I know that's a bold shout. Also, bold. you know, there's other factors too, like girls, you know, uh, there's all these different types of things that are coming your way as you start to get older that distract you from, from having that singular focus. And that's very difficult to maintain. They're going to, they're going to go through that dip of, Oh, maybe I don't really like soccer anymore. I hate this sport. I don't, you know what I mean? There's all, it's all part of the process and it's right. a matter whether they can fight through that. And as, as you mentioned, Heath, we, we all know plenty of players that couldn't fight through that or, or got, I, I knew a guy, I mean, unbelievable. One of the best young players I've ever seen. And he got a girl pregnant at 16. And that was that, like that was, you know, and so you have that to that minefield to manage as well as you're a young adult or becoming a young adult. And this is a conversation I think we have to save for another podcast. So we're done right now. In soccer, we trust is coming to an end today. I feel like we really got to dedicate more time and space for that kind of theme or those themes alone. So on behalf of producer Lisa Roman, make sure you check out her podcast, The Attacking Third, also part of the CBS Sports family and Hollywood Heath Pierce and Charlie Chuck Wagon Davies. I'm Jimmy Conrad saying thank you for listening. Thank you for hitting like and subscribe. Thank you for being a part of the community. And we will see you tomorrow, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, or catch us on in Soccer We Trust anywhere you get your podcast. We'll see you later.